Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Adam. And this is Adkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and we are sitting down together to talk about episodes 41 and 42 of My Hero Academia. Yeah, man, these were crazy episodes. I mean, for for these episodes to be the first couple of episodes in season three, things are just like off the rails already. Yes, things move very quickly in season three, and I can already tell that this is, of the three, this is already shaping up to be, from my perspective and in my opinion, the the most entertaining of the three seasons so far. Like, even yeah. already just like three or four episodes in, it is, this episode 42 is the hypest thing that's happened in My Hero, flat out, full stop. It totally, you know, it used to be that I thought one of the early 30 episodes, the climax episode where Stain is, is uh, facing off against Midoriya and Todoroki and, and um, Ida, that whole scene, that that was the coolest thing going. Not anymore. Episode 42 takes the cake. I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. In fact, once I got near the end, I just messaged Adkins and I was like, hey, man, uh, I can't record tonight. I'm too busy crying. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much hype for me. Yeah, it was nuts. I have almost no notes for episode 42 because I quit pausing the show to take notes. I I was just like slack jawed watching amazing things take place in this in this anime. So in a few minutes time, we get to talk about it and I can't wait for that time to come. <laughs> Well, episode 41 starts us right off with Vlad, who is the homeroom teacher for class 1B, uh, leading class B into the, I guess, kind of like the interior of the camp. It seems like they're sort of away from the main buildings, and he's explaining to class 1B that they're like super far behind 1A, uh, and they're going to have to train their quirks today. And they're kind of asking him, like, well, what can we do to train our quirks? You know, how is that going to work? There's 20-ish of us and only one of you. And he mentions that quirks are just like muscles. You know, you can go into a gym, you can tear them down, and they're going to build back up even stronger. So you're just going to basically be stressing your quirks to the max. And uh, we get an awesome little montage here of all of Class 1A and what they're doing and how they're stressing their quirks. And it was pretty fun. Yeah, and I like that this concept that was introduced in season two by Bakugo, this idea that your quirk is like a muscle, is being teased out in this in this way. That you can you can enhance it, you can make it stronger, you can develop it. Uh, I really like that that angle, that approach. He also said that if you don't use them, if you don't use your quirks, that they waste away. Did they? Did he say something similar in the English as well? No, I don't think he said anything about them wasting away. Because hmm. he he says that in the in the uh, in the subtitled version, and I was curious as like, okay, what um, you know, does that mean that like older folks, uh, you know, that their quirks get weaker? Just like I mean, people naturally do. Even in the uh, the manga, which I have in my hands, he says the quirks are the same; they get stronger through continued use and weaker if they're underutilized. Hmm. So maybe not waste away to nothing, like you would suddenly go from quirked to quirkless. But uh, you know, that's a it's a fair enough concept, and it and it all again ties back to something that we were introduced to a while back. So Class B kind of walks in on Class A already at feverish work. All of the students are shown doing different things that are designed to stress and test their particular quirks, and uh, we can run through these really, really quickly. We don't want to spend too too much time because not not a lot of screen time was devoted to this stuff, but it is kind of neat just to say this is what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, this is like a minute of the show, if even that. Like, it was a really quick montage. Uh, it was quick enough that I was able to type out exactly what everybody was doing as it was happening, and I'm not a great typer. So. Yeah, 
So Bakugo is plunging both of his hands down into boiling water, which is going to cause his sweat glands to expand. And then he's making lots of explosions up in the air um, in the hopes of like increasing their scale. Um, yeah, I think he was, so he was doing twofold. One, it was making his sweat glands bigger so he would sweat more often. And two, it was making it to where he was learning to explode more sweat at once, I think. Okay. Yeah. Without the gauntlets, you mean? Yeah. That was okay. the way that I understood that one, which is kind of a neat way to do it. Yeah, and Todoroki is in like a barrel of water, and he's alternating between fire and ice to keep the bathwater temperature stable, and uh, whoever was doing the voiceover, I assume it was probably, was it present Mike? He's not no, on the scene. No, I think it scene. was Vlad. I'm pretty okay, sure Vlad was Vlad. the one doing it. Um, so he's, he's, he basically said if, if he does this often enough or long enough, persistent enough, that he might even be able to use fire and ice at the same time, which is a really cool concept. I yeah, like that Yeah, that would be really awesome. Sarah's just over there producing tape continuously to improve strength of the tape and the, the speed by which he can blast it out of his arms. And it's actually kind of comical because he's just he's he's kind of yelling in pain and there's just like tape emitting from his elbows at high speed. It was really funny. I wonder if his elbows are like Mineta's head. Like if it, like is that tape just doesn't come out of nowhere. You know what I mean? So yeah. do you think eventually he'll like have bloody elbow or something? Could be. After Sarah, we've got Ojiro and Kirishima who are actually fighting each other. So Kirishima is hardening his body and Ojiro is slapping him with his tail. So they're both benefiting. And then, of course, you've got Kaminari who is using this like generator. He's just holding on to it and pumping electricity through his body. Uh, and it, it was pretty funny because he's just like totally whacked out, you know. And you actually called what Koda was going to end up doing because uh, Koda is just told to just yell into the woods to Which strengthen I think is, his vocal cords. It's so ridiculous. I, like, I didn't want to be right about that one. It's pretty funny, but, you know, what else are you going to do? I, uh, yeah, that's true. Aoyama is just continuously shooting lasers out of his belly, uh, out of his navel, because it's a navel laser. Um, trying so, to learn how to control the cramps. Yeah, yeah. He's just trying to, I guess, deal with the pain, the, the, the belly aches that come with uh, extended use. And then we've got Tokoyami, who is just, like, in a cave trying to control the dark shadow and he's in there and he's just screaming like dark shadow. Yeah. Like, we don't, don't even see him. No, we don't. And then later on he's they're discussing something that's going to happen later in the episode and he's still just like hanging out in the cave. Uh, so a little mysterious. I don't know what exactly he's trying to do in there. And then Ochako is actually trying to figure out how to get her inner ears to fix themselves after being in zero gravity for a certain amount of time while like, tumbling down the mountain it seemed really i don't know i don't know how that was helping her at all i think she was also like trying to get overcome her nausea is that what it was okay yeah so i mean if that means we see less rainbow vomit i, I mean we haven't seen it except for that one time i think it's only uh, happened once so maybe that yeah. was just a weird like episode two fluke but i, I kind of missed the rainbow vomit because it was funny yeah it was unexpected for sure. Yeah. And then Ida is just doing long distance running, which is probably my favorite of all of the characters because in a bunch of the scenes, both in the anime and the, in the manga, he's just seen like running in the background of all of the other scenes. And it's, it's just a funny little trope that they carry on a, like, a little long running pun, totally intended joke throughout the, these scenes. Yeah. And it's pretty funny. Sue is rock. She's ascending a cliff wall relying upon all of her muscles. So she's using her tongue, she's using her hands and her feet. She's getting like a full body workout uh, while she ascends. Yeah, and I, I love the next two because it's just uh, Sugar Rush, who is Soto, 
and Momo sitting next to each other, cramming food into their faces and using their quirks. So Soto is sitting there just like pumping iron, and then Momo is shoving like cakes and stuff into her mouth and then creating these. I, I couldn't figure out what they were. They looked like plushies or something. Yeah, and I, I super like the idea of Sato raising his base strength because it was explained that it was like a multiplier when he does his sugar rust thing. It was like a right. five times multiplier. So just because my brain works in Dragon Ball terms, if you raise that base, and even if you keep the same multiplier, your end results will be a lot higher. So I liked that idea for him a lot. Yeah, I do too. I think it was pretty neat. But then you get Jiro, who of, of all of them probably has like the weirdest training regiment she's just whipping her earphone jacks against rocks and it says that they're strengthening them somehow i i totally don't understand her training i i, I just tell you straight up i don't either in the english version they just say that she's honing her jacks and i wonder if maybe it's like strengthening them to penetrate objects so that way she can listen through them or something or making them sharper i don't know i couldn't figure that one out either i don't know it was very vague uh, she's just shown like whipping her hair uh, like whatever that Smith child was that was whipping her hair back and forth in, yeah, yeah. In the, just with her earphone jacks. And I was just like, all right, that's a thing. And then you have uh, Mina, who is intermittently creating acid um, to try to increase her skin's durability. And I don't think we've heard so far that the acid actually harms her. So that was that seemed like a new concept to me, but it makes I feel like sense, I, I, I guess. I remember like early on them mentioning that it also hurt her, but it wasn't as bad. But yeah, okay. I feel like it hasn't been mentioned a whole lot. So. All right. I mean, it's fair. It's not like there's not other characters who have similar relationships with their quirks, like Bakugo, you know? True. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's what she's doing. She's just like, she's got her hands pressed up against a rock. And I think, and she's just pouring out acid and holding her hands in it. Yep. And then the last three that we've got are, of course, Hagakuri and uh, Shoji. And they've kind of got a weird team up because Shoji is basically creating more eyes on the end of his tentacles looking for Hagakuri, who is just naked running around and being stealthy. But like in the scene, she's running behind him and she's invisible except for a bag of chips. And I thought that was kind of funny. You skipped over Mineta, man. Oh, I did? Oh, yeah. Mineta is standing there and he's... uh, He's got his uh, purple balls that he's just pulling out of his head, so that way he can keep his head eventually from bleeding, I guess. Yeah, he's got, he, again, I mean, his quirk is just so silly, but all he's doing is just making a giant pile of purple balls, and that's his yeah. training. He's just like squatted down like a troll, just yeah. pulling the balls off the top of his head. Well, and did you catch what Midoriya's doing? Well, he, so at the end of the scene, we kind of changed back to Vlad and I went over my notes and I, I counted. I was like, there's 19. Who are we missing? I was like, uh, duh, it's Midoriya. We don't yeah. get to see him right then in that moment. We don't, but we see him in a bit. And he, so he is fighting Tiger, uh, I guess is like a strength fighting training. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he's doing this weird like yoga pose. Like he keeps like air punching and then like bringing it down and doing like this crunch where he like touches his elbow to his knee. And that's it. It's just that one motion, the same elbow, the same knee, like over and over and over and over and over. And I have no clue how that's supposed to help him with the one for all. I would suspect that there are boxers who could tell you that. And I'm I'm just pulling this out of my nose. But, I, you know, I've seen like there was a show on the Discovery Channel at one point called Fight Science. And they showed like the science that goes into a punch to like maximize strength. And the motion that that channeling of energy all the way from like 
your feet up through your fist involves the whole body in different ways. And I wonder if that's, that's, that was how I kind of no prized explained what Midoriya was up to. That he See, I was, guess that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's the best I got. I don't know that that's exactly what was going on, but it, it seemed like that was what it was, what it was. I guess I just assumed that his quirk training would be more along the lines of what he was doing with Gran Torino, where he's trying to like funnel, you know, 15% at all times and then right. 25% at all times. And then 30, you know what I mean? Instead of it just being like, oh, I'm going to punch the air a bunch. Yeah, it, it, it was it was a little strange, but that's that's the best I got. That's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after we get this montage, we switch over and we see Class B, who is like witnessing Class 1A training, and they look super intimidated. Like the way that they were drawn, they just like, holy crap what we have so much to catch up on yeah they i mean they 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 feel behind class 1a in a number of ways i mean obviously just by the title and numbering of their class their classes classifications if you want to call it that that they're already you know sub they're they're beneath 1a they're considered like you know less than inferior to and that certainly just that classification on a door probably at ua um, you I mean, know, that would be enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, but then it, that translates into a very psychological thing. And then, and we'll get into this a little bit later, they start feeling outperformed by 1A, not just at the festival, but just an experience, um, and like willingness or boldness and courage. Um, and, and so all that stuff is kind of weighing on them. And then they just see 1A going nuts, you know, and all of their quirks just at max going off at the same time is probably a, a fairly impressive sight. Yeah, a sight to behold for sure. Well, Kendo brings up to Vlad, like, hey, there's 40 plus of us now. How are two teachers going to help? And that's when Aizawa is, is just like, all right, we've got, you know, these people that are going to be here to help us. And it's the uh, wild, wild pussycats. And it's all four of them. Yeah, we've met uh, two of them already. We met Pixie right. Bob and Mandalay, I think. And or, so they introduce Ragdoll, uh, who can look at somebody and know everything about them, including like weaknesses and strengths and stuff. Yeah, it specifically said their location too, and I was like, "Hell, I must have a power because when I look at somebody, <laughs> I can see their location too." Yeah, I don't know if that means like she gets a heads-up display. Or, yeah, that's or what, what I figured. But, but the way that they said it, I was like, "I'll be damned! I got a power too. Yeah. I can I can look at somebody and see their location." You are right over there. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, and then, of course, the fourth one is Tiger, who is just there to beat people to a pulp. Like they they didn't tell you anything about his power. He's just I think he's probably just a muscle power. Yeah, and it's cool how they, the four of them interacting become like a really, th their synergies are good for trying to train 40 kids at once. So Ragdoll yeah. can look at people and say, this is what you need to work on because it's your weakness. Um, Pixie Bob said that she can create the perfect training spaces with her little earth flow magics. Mandalay uses her telepathy to just give everybody advice even simultaneously. Which and then is pretty Tiger, neat. Yeah, it's super cool. And then Tiger's just, he just says, my job is to assault through punching and kicking. And he, he's, he's uh, you know, assigned specifically to um, the, like, power-up types like Midoriya, the, the, the more physical, like, hand-to-hand -hand fighters. Yeah, and I love it, too, because he is, like, beating the tar out of Midoriya. And the whole time he's doing it, he just keeps screaming, like, don't you want to be plus ultra? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like a military sergeant or something. Yeah, he was very, uh, very drill sergeant-y. And this was this brings us to something that I don't think we've talked a whole bunch on, maybe maybe not at all on the pod, which is this concept of like different hero types. And I like my, in my notes, Vlad lists like four different types: operative, heteromorphic, 
composite and power up. But when I started doing research on the internet, there's really only three types. It's emitters, and then there's uh, mutants and transformers. And so everybody in in this show, not just the students, but they all, bad guys and good guys alike, fall under one of these three categories, emitters, mutants, and transformers. And uh, so it's just it's just kind of neat if you walk through. I mean, most of them make sense. Mutants are, you, you have some sort of physical manifestation of your quirk. So like Sue is a mutant. Um, emitters would obviously be like Bakugo would be an emitter. Um, and then transformers would be ones like Kirishima, who transforms into that hardened state. Um, so it, it's, it's a very sensical classification, but I don't think we've ever come up against that terminology strictly in the show yet. Yeah, I don't think so. And not only that, but I don't remember Vlad saying anything about that in the English version. So that must have just been a little uh, special bit that you got there. Well, that's what, that's what I get for watching the anime the way God intended. That's true. That's true. So shortly after all of the training, uh, the teachers are realizing, I guess, that the kids are all super exhausted. So they're bringing them in for dinner. And they are, have already warned them that they are no longer going to make them any food. They've got to make it on their own. So the kids actually walk into this area where they've got uh, like a, almost an outside kitchen area, kind of like a picnic area. And they've got a bunch of ingredients where they're going to have to make their own curry. And it's funny because at first everybody is just like, oh, man, I'm so exhausted. There's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. And Ida realizes that it's just another training exercise and is like, come on, let's make the best curry that you know is possible or the best curry we'll ever make. And uh, even Aizawa is like, oh, thank God, Ida. Like, I'm so glad you're around. Yeah. It's funny because Ida says it's true that part of rescuing someone is filling their stomachs and spirits. And I think that's something he said in the English version, too. <laughs> I just have in my notes, is that what was in all those pouches from 90s era X-Men? They just <laughs> they would go on scene, save people from bad guys, and then be like, here's a power bar. Here's a it's power in, bar. <laughs> it's been in my belt this whole time. It might be a little melted. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's like Wolverine leaves his in the lockers. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Like weeks at a time. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a funny, while they're eating, you know, they're all like inhaling this food once they get it all cooked. And it's kind of cool because like Todoroki's going around, he's lighting everybody's fire, but Bakugo can't light the fires. He's just, he's just blowing up pieces of wood everywhere with his yeah. work. Well, and Bakugo um, doesn't even want it like help. He thinks it's beneath him. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that the scenes where Todoroki was helping folks, it was kind of a really redeeming scene because he's walking around lighting these fires for people. And it's the first time I think he's using his fire powers in a way where it generally makes everyone else around him happy. Yeah. So and, and it's, it's kind a very of, genteel and servanthood yeah. thing to do. Like it's very, I'm based off the information we know about Todoroki, it seems like something he would feel is very beneath him. Yeah. And it's so it's kind of cool to see him walking around like being one of the students, you know. And he seems to be content doing it, right? Like he even seems maybe even beyond content. I think he's happy to go around and do it. I think somebody even says at some point, you know, it might have been Momo. She she might have said something like, "We don't need to just rely on Todoroki to always light our fires." And Todoroki's just like, "No, it's okay. I, I got it. I'll do this." Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, they even make it a point to have him smiling while he's helping. And you don't see Todoroki smile a lot. So right. I thought that was a pretty cool moment for him. Yeah, it was very cool. And speaking of Momo, uh, while they're eating, she starts talking about how her quirk works. And she says that, uh, you know, she's just eating and somebody's like, man, Momo, I, I bet you're, you know, tired. You had to, don't you have to eat to be able to do your quirk? And she's like, yeah. I have to eat or consume a lot of calories because I turn lipids into the stuff that I pull out of my body. And um, Sarah just, just says, just like his little one line, he just says, it's like poop. And then he just gets whacked by, I don't remember who smacks him, probably like 
who who would be really defensive? I think Ochako, it was uh, maybe it was either Achako or Mina because I think Mina was the one talking to her and Sarah was sitting next to her. So yeah, that was pretty yeah, funny, it was though. it was pretty funny. I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's input output. That's what he's that's what he's relating it to. You put stuff <laughs> right, in, you pull right. stuff out, and it, it right. is just like poop. There's, there's no doubt he's on it. I wonder how uh, Momo handles like her insulin levels. You know what I mean? Yeah, could you imagine her being like any kind of having any kind of food allergy? Like if she was yeah. a celiac or diabetic, or like, can you imagine that if she was like allergic to peanut butter or something? Because yeah. like I know people with peanut butter allergies, like they can walk into a room that had peanut butter in it last week and drop dead. You know, so it wouldn't like I just can't imagine having to rely on food for your power and then have like allergies to half of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd have been nuts. Well, like, thankfully, I, she seems she seems pretty healthy. Yeah, I was gonna say because I've got celiacs and I cannot imagine having to always have like snacks and stuff around to fuel my powers. Like I would just be powerless. It would almost just be easier to be quirkless. Yeah, she. I mean, she's she's fit physically. So whatever it is that she's consuming that is beyond what is just needed to subsist day to day. She is just creating it out of her. <laughs> like yeah. that's like the ultimate diet. If Momo's like, oh, I'm feeling a little chubby today, she just starts creating things and is fine. Right. I well, wonder I mean, does that-, that work on like blood vessels and and things like that? Like, you know, is, should she be worried about the, you know, blockages in her blood vessels for consuming Sado too? I mean, they were both just pounding sweets at one point. Yeah. No, Sado's the one that I worry. I worry about. Like that guy will straight up have uh, diabetes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, and it would almost make more sense for him to have some sort of uh, uh, wh- what was the other class? They're they're the support class that make the uh, support objects. Mm-hmm. It would almost make more sense for him to get some sort of insulin pump, so that way instead of having to cram sugar packets, he could at least have a pump that's like measuring his blood sugar levels. Unless, of course, his quirk relies on like the chemical makeup of sugar, which then I guess is totally different. But I'm just thinking, if it's just a sugar rush like a diabetic would have, then an insulin pump would be perfect for him. He can like click a button and just go super sero. You know what I mean? Yeah, super or not sero. sero like uh, super sado. Super sado. Yeah, I like that term. It's yeah, good. we're gonna start using that from now on. I like it too. It's great. It's just like <laughs> Teddy Ruxpin and and a Jinko Jings All Might and all that stuff. Um, so after, anyway, the, the meal kind of transitions, uh, interestingly, because Coda is, um, he's like off by himself. He, he wanders off and Midoriya takes a plate of curry out to his like super secret hideout, which Coda does not like. Um, and Midoriya, as we talked about last episode, kind of got the background of Coda's parents. Um, and again, this is Coda with a T, not Coda with a D. Because Horikoshi hates us. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he, he walks out there and he's like, your parents were water hose, right? And I guess water hose is the name for their dynamic duo. It's, I think so. The water hose heroes is yeah. what they called them. Um, so Coda, Coda just kind of goes off on him quite a bit. And he explains that he hates quirks and superhuman society itself. And that it's just people showing off. It's people, some people calling themselves hero and some people calling themselves villains and just beating each other up for, for those qualifications sake basically and um i actually had a note in here uh that i i just wrote i wonder if he's heard of stain like if if he is familiar with stain and in his ideology and and what he would think of that philosophy in particular what coda's take on stain would be yeah i mean they don't mention it in either of these episodes but i would imagine that coda's heard of him i mean heck if you've been around a tv or a radio in the last two weeks you know who this guy is 
Yeah, and I think that like he would have a fairly juvenile understanding of what Stain was out doing. Yeah. Which makes me think that he would be like, yeah, Stain is the man without understanding why, like why? the motivations yeah. for it. Coda's what, like six or seven maybe? I mean, he's not, he's not old. He's yeah, just a little kid. I would say he's, he's definitely less than 10, I would guess. Definitely less than 10, yeah. And right after we cut away from the scene with Coda and Midoriya is when we get kind of the big reveal that there are villains right outside of the camp. And there's a whole swarm of them. I think we've got seven total. And we recognize Toga and Dobby from a couple of episodes ago. And then there's five others. Uh, and they're like itching to just infiltrate this campsite and destroy whatever is inside of it. And Dobby is the only one that is like, all right, chill out. Like we, we have to have a sense of, of pace here. And, you know, we've got to have some sort of an idea of how to take away their peace, how to, how to get their conscious dirty, you know? And he's like, let's take our time and we'll do this the right way. And he seems like he is super, super villainous. Like that guy is, has got uh, the brain for it, you know? Yeah. He says this thing that's super ominous. He says, first, we make them realize that their peace rests in our hands and not only is that really well worded but that is a really interesting like perspective on the the dynamic that exists between heroes and villains we talked on this episode or on this uh podcast before about how heroes are defending the status quo right um you know they heroes are there not to necessarily to make the world better so much as they are at least normally as they are portrayed they just make sure things don't get worse, right? They just want things as they are. And this this idea that villains are the ones who, they, they either by inactivity permit that peace or by activity disrupt that peace, that that's the power that they have as villains. And I really like the way that he phrased that. I think it's a really interesting take or, or phrasing of what a villain actually does. Yeah, it's uh, certainly ominous for these poor kids. So at this point, we transition back to the teachers who are still working with the kids, uh, and they explain to them that they're actually going to pit 1B and 1A against each other later on in the evening. Uh, and, it, you know, I've, at this point, we really haven't seen Class B training at all. So we don't know what any of those guys are doing. No, we, we don't know what a lot of their quirks are. We saw a couple of them in the festival, but uh, very, very, very few and very little. Right. Uh, we get a great scene here where they're still trying to like kind of cook up some dinner or maybe they're cleaning up after. I was kind of unclear on what exactly they were doing. Uh, but Bakugo is like cutting up so what looks like carrots, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Ochako that says like, wow, Bakugo, you're really good with knives. He, he just freaks out and he says, why are all you people so damn bad at everything? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. He's so great. Is this when Midoriya comes back from talking with Kato? And b- this is where that happens, right? Yeah, I think he yeah, does. Yeah. He wanders yeah, back in, it. like still during dinner. I skipped over a note that I, I really want to talk about because it's a really interesting scene where Midoriya is trying to empathize, not sympathize, not just feel sorry for, bad for Coda. He's wanting to empathize. So he starts talking about his own experience um, because right at this point, like he's like, hey, listen, you know, I know somebody. He's talking about himself, but he does that whole, I have this friend, you know, and he's like, I have this friend and he didn't have a quirk. And blah, blah, blah. He starts talking about his own experience. And there's a really cool scene where he says that he was he tried really hard to do the things that his parents could do. And we knew about his mom's quirk to just move small objects. But did you catch what his dad quirk must be? No, I didn't. Breathing fire. Because he's in this scene, he says, 
he's like, he, I tried to, or the, my friend, I can't remember, I'm going to get the tenses all mixed up, but he's trying, they show tiny Midoriya trying to move like a chair with his brain. That's and then right. later on, he's like breathing with his mouth wide open and he ta- he mentions oh, breathing right. fire. So his yeah. dad's quirk was breathing fire. Well, now I we think- know. I feel like we knew that because I I remember uh, like in episode one or two when he's with the doctor, the doctor asks like the mom like, oh, what are your quirks? And she says, oh, well, I can move small objects and my husband breathes fire. I feel yeah. like that was mentioned. I I, th- I feel like you're right now that you mentioned that. But um, it's been 42 episodes, man. Yeah, so, it's been a I mean. long time. <laughs> um, but he comes back. There's this cool scene where Midoriya gets back and he goes to Todoroki or Todoroki approaches him one and he just says, Todoroki, what what would you have said to this kid? And and this is after, I, I should include, that he asks Aizawa where All Might is because yeah. Midoriya thinks All Might could break through to this kid like All Might broke through to Midoriya. Um and also during the scene, Ida just runs through the background, which I thought was still funny. But, yeah, I uh, thought that was funny too. But he ends up talking to Todoroki and he's like, Todoroki, what would you do? What would you say to Kato? And Todoroki says, well, that depends. If words are going to move someone, then they have to be accompanied by action. And that's going to be something that comes up in the next episode. So I wanted to hit that nail as we move forward. And Todoroki's right. He also tells Midoriya he needs to stop sticking his nose where it doesn't belong. But yeah, that's I've got in my notes that Todoroki basically tells him to mind his own business and that he has to, uh, he says, what you say doesn't matter as much as what you do. Yeah, the flip side of that, though, is Midoriya's you know, working definition of a hero involves meddling when he shouldn't be. So, yeah, you know, he's, he's just doing his best to be a hero. And man, oh man, does he get to be a hero in next episode. So it's true. <laughs> as we well, wrap you know up what's... episode 41, <laughs> as we wrap up episode 41, we get the breakdown of this game. It's basically like a haunted trail. It sounds so cool. It did sound pretty neat. And it and it sets the stage really well for, for the tone of episode 42. I think I yeah, mentioned last episode of ours that, you know, when, when All Might was beating up Todoro, or Bakugo and Midoriya, that it, it must have been like a horror movie. Episode 42 is a horror episode. I, I will not hear arguments to the contrary. It is a horror movie episode. I would um, be really surprised if the next three or four episodes aren't horror movie-esque yeah, episodes. Yeah, it's great. And it's set up like really softly here. So Class B is going to go and they're going to use their quirks to try to scare Class A as they move about in pairs to like get to the back of this trail, pick up a plate with their name on it, and then come back. And then the class, uh, the well, I think it was Tiger, he basically says the class that makes the most people piss their pants with creativity and imagination wins. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, I thought that was, was a great credit, like way to win too. And there's there's a brief scene where they're like pairing off and the, the anime didn't do a good job of showing who was paired with who. It was a real quick flash. I didn't have time to grab who was paired with who. Yeah, in the in the uh, manga it does a slightly better job and it's really funny because people are realizing who they're paired with and they're trying to make trades. So like Bakugo knows that he's stuck with Todoroki, so he's like Ojiro, trade with me. I don't want to be with this half and half bastard. Yeah. And uh, Mineta is paired up with um, Momo, I think. And he is like, or no, no, no. Aoyama is paired with uh, Momo. In, right. And Mineta's trying to get him to trade. Yeah. Mineta's yeah. with Ojiro. And he's like going up to Aoyama and he's like, please switch with me. And Momo is like not having it. It was really funny. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, and poor Midoriya is no one to be friends with at this point in time again. Like, Yeah, because yeah, the remedial class has gone off and they're an odd number of them now. Right. Yeah. Because so Aizawa tells the remedial class that they're not allowed to participate because they failed in life at everything else, <laughs> uh, which I thought was pretty great. He's like, look, you guys have got way too much work to do. 
And he's basically taking them right after they're done training and putting them through classwork until 2 a.m. And then they have to get up again at 7 a.m. Like he's he's putting them through the limits for sure. Yeah. And so we, we kind of jump ahead in time a little bit. A few of the groups are already out on the trail. And then this like purpley smoke begins to fill the fields and people are freaking out. Some of them catch it enough to like fast enough to cover their mouths. Yeah, it's actually, it's kind of a funny scene too, because we're seeing class 1B and it's specifically someone that's named uh, Kodai, I think. It's K-O-D-A-I is how I think the name was spelled. And she's been apparently popping up and scaring everybody. And they even talk about how she scared Bakugo and Todoroki, which is kind of a funny idea, you know? Right. Um, And she's talking to the guy named Honoke and Kendo. Hoenoke kind of looks like one of the Titans from uh, Attack on Titan. Uh, and they're all talking about, you know, how Kodai is going to scare all these people away when they start seeing the smoke and they think it's Bakugo and Todoroki. And it turns out to be that this, like, poisonous villain. I mean, it, it's pretty cool. Yep. And then they cut. They don't really. Do they show the gas masky guy doing his thing? I assume it's the gas masky guy doing his yeah. thing that's, pre- there's like that's a doing w- the poison stuff. Quick second. Yeah, there's a bunch of quick second scenes here where, like, you see him doing something, and then you see Pixie Bob gets messed up. Uh, Toga is going to, like, attack uh, uh, Sue and Achako, I think. And then mm-hmm. it looks like Mandalay had been hurt really badly. And this is where Midoriya is like, oh, like, where's Coda at? Like, oh, crap, we got to go find him. And then that's the end of the episode. And it transitions directly into 42. Yeah, it was Ragdoll, I think, that ends up being the one that's hurt really badly. And Yeah, I think um, I got them mixed up in that last scene. Yeah, and then Dobby also has some sort of, like, blue flame quirk, but it's not that kind of anime. But he's he's, like, setting fire to trees with yeah. his hands and he's the one that's responsible for all this like black smoke so now we have a little bit of an idea of what he he can do he right it's some sort of like blue, blue fire of some yeah. sort which is totally not what i had him pegged for as far as quirks go like because he has all this weird like stapled on skin and stuff right i figured he would it would have something to do with like his skin being removed or something well this leads us to the best episode of My Hero Academia so far, episode 42, which is simply called My Hero. And it starts with like this traverse backwards in time. It says like five minutes earlier. And we, we see the, the, the remedial class back going into the classroom. Monoma, who has given them so much garbage, actually turns out he failed his uh, final exam too. So and he's, he's the only one that failed in class 1B. Yep, yep. It had me dying laughing. I thought that was so funny. But they, shortly after they re- arrive, like, Mandalay starts warning them with telepathy and she's like, Hey, there, there are these villains. We don't know how many there are, but they're here. And you, you like, Aizawa's like, all right, Vlad, you stay here with the kids. And he runs out and immediately gets like blindsided by Dobby. Just this massive explosion. I mean, point blank at his face. And if he yeah. kills Aizawa, I quit this pod. Yeah, like, I don't, man, we were just talking last episode about how much we would hate it if Aizawa was, you know, the vil- like a villain in the long run. I think this pretty much proves that there's no way he's a villain. No. Um, I, he got blasted pretty hard, though. He, he's trying to scream for Vlad for backup, and, like, he just gets out, like, VLA, and then he just gets destroyed. Yeah, man. Uh, and <sighs> Mandalay is already, watch. oh, it's super hard to watch. Uh, Amanda Lee is still telling people like return to camp and don't engage any of the enemies period. Uh, and you know, so you've got these kids running back to camp. I's always been taken out. Like Dobby's there ready for any kids that walk into his path. And there's no way that any of these kids can face off against him. I don't think. Yeah. It's pretty unnerving. It, it's, it is a legitimate crisis. I mean, this is where things get real scary, real, real fast. Definitely. We switch back over and we see two villains who are fighting off against the wild, wild pussycats, or at least 
three of them, and they're right there next to like all of the kids. So there's this lizard guy that we've talked about before. He's basically a ninja turtle that has a fetish for Hero Killer Stain. Yep, he's even like I think he's wearing like pieces of what what could be like cosplaying as Hero Killer Stain. Yeah, like, he totally <laughs> is. He's in. Uh, and then there's another guy who, in my notes, I his name's Magni, I think, M-A-G-N-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have him listed as the stoner surfer villain because, to me, he just looks like he's super high and he's been surfing all day long. Well, we find out a little bit later that uh, he Tiger is one of the three wild, wild pussycats on the scene, and he knows who Magne is. Yeah, he knows like his he real down name. everything about him. It's crazy. Yeah, he knows his real name. He says that Magne is, you know, wanted for like nine counts of aggravated robbery, three murders, and 29 attempted murders. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's he's not just a... a he's not one of the USJ villains. I mean, no. this dude is legitimate, and I would I imagine mean, that all of the rest of the 10 that are running around the woods are also maybe not similarly credentialed in air quotes as villains but um well we know at least one is the one that uh, we we find out is up on the cliff with coda we'll right. get to that in a second definitely well this is the same scene where uh spinner who is the lizard guy pulls out his sword and you you off air had mentioned that it just looked like the throne from game of thrones like melded into one giant sword i mean it, it's totally it's like it's, a final fantasy sword it's, it's ridiculous. ridiculous it is super ridiculous and but again, i love it it's I mean, so cool. And all I my notes just say Ninja Turtle dude has a sword that is just a bunch of swords held together with a belt. And I my note just says this cannot possibly be quirk related. This was a choice and it was a poor one. I mean ah, it, I again this goes back to it feels like my first take on the grenade gauntlets. Like this is totally a junior higher sword. This isn't like a real hero's sword where he's yeah. just like collects all these swords and just ties them up real fast. Like, well, maybe they're so the dumb. swords of people he's killed or something. I doubt it. I mean, I doubt I just, it too. I just it sounds like it looks like something he probably bought at the mall. You know what I mean? Yeah. One piece at a time or else he would be on <laughs> blacklists everywhere. I mean, which I guess isn't a problem for villain, but geez, I mean, it's, it's so over the top. It's just totally bonkers. Well, when he pulls out his sword, we've got Magne to the left of him who has this weird, like, wrapped up pillar thing, and it's crushing Mandalay's head. Uh, so she's, like, down for the count right there, I'm pretty sure. They have no idea where Ragdoll is. She hasn't checked in. Yeah, it's Pixie uh, Bob is down below Magne. She's oh, the one that's Oh, is it Pixie Bob? Down. Okay, so I'm getting those two mixed up. So Pixie Bob's the one that's down, and Mandalay is the one that's up. Yeah. Uh, but they're, I mean, she's getting messed up, too, and she's about to, I guess, kind of fall into the quirk that Magni has because he's using some sort of like gravity quirk. It reminds me of a Chaco's where he like pulled her towards him and then was holding that pillar out for her to slam into. Do you, it's kind do of you, a cool thing. Do you hear it though? His, his name is Magne. He's not using gravity. He's using magnets, isn't he? Yeah, yeah I would, I would think it's would magnetism so. related. Just, I mean, listen, we know how Horikoshi names things. That's true. So I would imagine it has to be some sort of magnetism thing. You're Maybe a lot smarter than me. Gonna... I never would have picked up on that. <laughs> That's it's funny. literally like staring me. I'm looking at his name right now. That I never would have picked up on yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny too because right before Magne tries to draw Mandalay towards him, um, Tiger is just going off on Magne and about Pixie Bob, and he says something like, "She was trying to find happiness as a woman despite her age." And I was just like, "Dude, that is dirty." She's she's like beaten up laying yeah. in the dirt and you're talking about how old she is <laughs> other than so in the english version he says something like other than the fact that she's looking for a mate she's in great health yeah like, it was stated so straight you can tell that it's one of those ones where they like we're gonna translate this but we don't know that's gonna make any sense really it just felt like she was he was kicking her while she was down i was like dude yeah. just just do your punchy thing it's fine 
Well, we transitioned from the fight going on with them over to a couple of the students in the woods. Uh, specifically, we see uh, Kendo, who is running away with some of the other you know students that she was with. And she runs into Tetsu, 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 who has a handful of other folks. And they're all wearing gas masks that Momo had created and handed out to them. So at some point in time, they've run into 1A and it was off screen, basically. And Momo's gas mask move is absolutely genius. I love yeah. that she continues to be whip smart. And it, and I would say that this is further kind of, uh, you, you know, not evidence of, but just a further development of her development after uh, their battle with Aizawa too. Definitely. Well, and it's if you think about it, it's really impressive from the standpoint that knowing how her quirks work, she has to know the atomical structure of like a bunch of stuff. So I don't know about you, but if you, you know, if I needed a gas mask, I couldn't tell you what kind of atomical structures you needed right now to get one. No, nah. I just, I think it's neat that she knows all that. That's, that's why she has the encyclo- the, the big book on her butt, right? Yeah, but we haven't seen that in a few episodes. I know. And I miss it because the big book, big book on the butt, say that five times fast. It was a, <laughs> it was a fun part of her original design that we were just like the, the caught it at a glimpse one day. And I was like. Did that lady have a bookshelf on her butt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's weird that it's not been there for a while, but maybe, I mean, I guess she doesn't always need it. Well, hashtag bring back the book. That's what bring, I said. <laughs> hashtag bring back the book. I love it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, 1A and 1B are out in the forest, and it sounds like they're trying to help each other out. And Kendo is trying to get Tetsu to go back to camp with her. And he's like, no, like, I'm going to fight. Like, we're heroes. And and the big difference between 1A and us is the fact that they've consistently been in a crisis over and over and over. They have gotten the experience. They've been out in the field. It's my turn. Like, I'm going to take the opportunity to learn, to get the experience, and become a hero. And, like, I think it's he's got a, a lot of respect in that wheelhouse for me now. Like, I thought that was really cool of him. Yeah, definitely. He he comes alive and it's it's going to be neat because I I am anticipating that he is going to get his own time to kind of shine even though he's 1B. And again, this is furthering the idea that this show is not it's not just about Midoriya. It might not even just be about class 1A kids. Like if these yeah. class 1B students actually get the shine, like it's going to be super awesome to watch. I really want to see a Kirishima Tetsu Tetsu team up against some villains. Like those two quirks, they could figure out how to just lay down some serious smackdown. Yeah, man. I am I'm so excited to see Tetsu Tetsu just do work and and rise above this stigma and this this kind of this aura of negativity that Class B has riding over their heads. This is Definitely. him starting to put his head above that cloud and be like, dude, it is our time. Let's do this. And I Absolutely. love that. For sure. Uh, well, we're going to go ahead and transition into another scene that happens in the woods only because trying to go back and forth like they do in the shows, it doesn't really work super well for podcasts, right? Correct. So we have another scene where Todoroki and Bakugo are walking through the trail. And at this point, I don't know that they know that villains have attacked. It didn't seem like it because they see this guy like up a front. And Todoroki is kind of like, hey, Bakugo, who was in front of us? Because uh, that doesn't, I don't recognize this dude. Uh, and they see that villain that Adkins had mentioned a couple episodes ago that looked like a... Um, it looks uh, like wanna, a Cenobite. Cenobite. I was going to call it a Terabyte. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing you could have called it. You'd have been wrong, but you could have yeah. called it that. Well, it's terrifying, and bite is in its name. It's a yeah. all right. I'll give it to you. <laughs> you you you, re- you rescued it. It's better than uh, I don't know some of the other stuff I could have come up with. Yeah. Uh, so this guy is terrifying. Like he's down on the ground and he's eating an arm and he's talking about the delicious people and he's like, oh, it's so tempting. But I'm here to kill students. Like I can't be eating flesh and oh, it's just gross. I even think there's like smacking noises in the background. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and Bakugo and Todoroki point out that Shoji and Tokoyami were ahead of them, like on the little trail. So odds are one of those two, well, oh my gosh, does it have to be Shoji? What are Tokoyami's hands like? Are they human hands? I feel like Well, that's the thing. I haven't said that yet. So this villain is chomping down on like a human hand. So I don't, I, I could see it being Shoji's and maybe he has a restorative ability that we don't know about. That would be pretty easy for them to write in at this moment, it feels like. Yeah, that's true. I'm, but it could also be Tokoyami's. I mean, yeah, I think he, he does, has, he has human hands. He has human hands. So right. it would be really, really cruddy if one of those guys lost a hand, but I kind of get the feeling if it's going to be anyone, it'll be Ragdoll. Okay, so I don't you think, think this is Ragdoll's hand? Yeah, I don't think that they would like maim one of the students just quite yet. Okay, so let's talk about this, because I actually have this question printed in my notes. Do you think that we will see, during the course of any My Hero material, any main characters die? Oh, yeah. I have my theories that All Might's going to die this season. I, I, mean, I don't want that to be the case, but like they're leading up to All Might dying. Yeah. Okay. So All Might aside, because I can, I, I'll track you with that. I'm talking about okay. like students. Do you think a student? So you're talking is like unexpected, in this unexpected right main character death. Yeah. Hmm. Do you like think one that that's these not really students been are safe? To? Yeah. Uh, you know, I I do. I don't feel like uh, Hirokoshi is going to kill off one of these students because, and the reason I say that, everything that I've read about this guy and the way that he writes, he has so many narratives he wants to tell for all of these students that he may hurt them a little bit. Like he'll give them scars, but those scars don't seem to do anything. Midoriya's scars don't really hurt them other than a reminder. Same with uh, Ida. Like Ida's got scars and his hand hurts, but other than that, we've not seen any of those effects happen yet. Like, other than them sitting in the hospital saying, yeah, my hand's messed up and it's numb, since then we've not seen that be an issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I like, I like your theory just because it means that maybe Aizawa isn't dead. But I, You asked about students, man. I know. As far as the teachers go, like, I, I don't could, want I mean, Aizawa dead. I don't either, but I could see Aizawa being someone that would die because everyone loves that. Like, I have not met anybody that's like, oh, Aizawa, screw that guy. Like, everybody loves him. Well, the flip side, though, is if if we don't perceive real, tangible threats to these students, even in this, even in what's going on right now, right, and there isn't the at least the chance that they could die, then are they are they in enough danger for us to be sold on the presence of danger? And this is this is a common narrative thing that a lot of writers wrestle with. I mean, that's what like Joss Whedon has been great about. You'll fall in love with the character, and he will. He will totally be fine with killing them because he likes, he thinks that if, if there isn't the possibility of death, then you lose narrative tension in moments where there is a perception or the, 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 where danger is perceived. If it's not actual, then you're robbing the narrative. You're, you're selling it short. You're, it's not what it could be. And so See, I wonder what my hero is going to do with that. See, I totally agree with you, and that's one of the reasons that I loved Game of Thrones whenever I first started watching it. I didn't feel like I had a comfort zone, like nobody was safe. 
However, I think this author is able to do something that a lot aren't, where he is able to present perceived danger. I always think that something bad is going to happen, and he uses it to showcase powers instead. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, I'm tracking with you. I, I think just, he's doing the exact the opposite. Because I think that it's, I think it's a, an interesting one, and especially with somebody has lost a hand, and possibly sure. somebody is dead already. I mean, who knows? Ragdoll might be dead true i mean it's not that i don't think people will die i just don't think that there'll be main characters that the author likes if that makes sense but what do you think i mean do you think that we're gonna lose anybody anytime soon no and i and i i don't because um i don't i I want it i mean i i I can't have my cake and eat it when it comes to this uh this question in this particular medium right um so i i do think that it would be really interesting from a narrative perspective for somebody to die, a student to die, and it, and it be a gravity moment, you know. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that that's necessarily appropriate for the genre. I mean, it's uh, so I, weird. I feel like it is. I feel like this is a, like, it has its fun moments, but this anime can be serious at times, too. That's and true. It, so my other big thing with this is if they were going to kill students off, Ida would have been killed by a hero killer stain. Like, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, I don't so know. I, I feel a, like the fact question. that... It is a tough question, but I feel like the fact that Ida's not dead and the fact that like there are a handful of folks that have been totally fine up to this point, no matter what they've experienced, like they've got the healing lady. I mean, I just I feel like we're not going to see any real serious injuries to the folks that it hasn't been alluded to. Like, I'm 100 percent believing that All Might's going to die and I'm going to have to take a break from the show for like a month. <laughs> yeah. OK, it's just just wanted to plant the seed. I, I... I like the idea, but I don't want to see it, if that makes sense. And that's that's super hypocritical and confusing, but that's just where my brain is. I get it, but I'll be honest. If Aizawa was to die, I think I would love the show even more. Because it's <sighs> he's such a good writer that he's made me fall in love with this character. Uh, it's kind of I actually... So this is a really good point. Uh, a friend of mine is... a. a a friend of mine works at a comic store and is one of the owners of the comic shop. And we were talking about how there are some comic book characters that I just absolutely hate. Like Scott Summers is one of those characters that I will never like. Like I've always hated Scott Summers. I think I will always hate him. Like he just screams jerk. And I was, you know, talking to him about it. And he was like, but how amazing is it that there is a writer out there that has written a fictional character that you hate that much? Like right. this character doesn't exist. You you have really strong emotions for something that doesn't exist, and that just shows incredible craftsmanship from the author standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I guess, st- stay on this topic for for too much longer. But it, it's this, you know, it, like if we're talking about Dragon Ball, when certain characters died, you were just like, that's eh, fine. Dragon Balls, that's the whole name. It's it's right in the show. They'll be it'll be fine. So their right, death it'll was, be okay. Yeah. yeah, it was meaningless. There wasn't a whole bunch of gravity to it. But then when certain characters died and they had been wished back before, then you're like, oh snap, this is this is for real. And those moments were great moments, and they made for emotional moments. Whereas the deaths that didn't matter, it was just like meh. You know, they'll they'll spend some some off screen time gathering up the Dragon Balls, and everybody will be fine. Yeah, but even in that series, death was kind of meaningless from the sense of like, oh, yeah, we can't wish you back, but we can talk to you pretty much whenever we want. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, <laughs> but anyways, let's keep going on with the best part of episode 42 here. Uh, we have gotten through all of the stuff that happened outside of this scene at this point, so we can purely focus the rest of this episode on possibly the best fight scene we have seen so far in My Hero. 
Uh, Midoriya has Midoriya has cleared the area to go find Coda. They have tasked him with basically trying to get Coda back. And it's actually interesting because Mandalay tells Ida, like, get everyone back to the camp. You are the leader of the school or your class. Like, you're the class leader. You need to make sure everyone gets back. And so Ida's like, okay, you know, just going right into that role, trying to get people back. And Midoriya straight up is just like, no, bro, go ahead. I got this. Don't worry about me. And he kind of just goes off to this cliff where he had seen Coda from the last episode. And there's already a villain up there who is getting ready to absolutely decimate Coda. And Coda actually recognizes this villain. It's the villain that killed his parents. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't recognize him right away, does he? It takes no, him it's a not minute. A, it seems like it's pretty quick, though, because this guy shows up and he's in like a full cloak and he has like a hockey mask on. And uh, Coda's wearing a hat and he mentions like, oh, I like that hat. I wish I had a hat like that. I'm wearing this stupid mask because they didn't have any of the cool masks. And he takes it off. And that's when Coda is kind of starting to get that face of like, oh, man, who are you? Like, that's I think right, I know who right. you are, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you you say you're, you're generous. You call what he's wearing a mask. I call it a cup. It looks like it belongs in a jockstrap. So it literally totally in, does. in all of my notes, I just call him the, uh, the cup face is all I called him because I, I don't think I called his name. So he's just cup face in all of my quote, all of my yeah. notes. They don't always do a great job of introducing the villains' names. Um, so they need this, cool little voiceovers from Present Mike too. Dang it! I want them from like uh, Kurokiri though. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'll take that. So we, I found out that this guy's name is Muscular because I watched the subtitles and it has his name and then parentheses. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to refer to this guy as Muscular. Uh, but he actually is talking about the heroes and he recognizes the kid. And he's like, oh, you're that kid. Like, and he just is, is explaining, like, I didn't kill your parents because they were heroes. I just love killing. Like, I just killed them, period. You know, and so poor Coda's getting really upset. And this guy is about to knock his block off when Midoriya jumps in the way. And so Midoriya gets hit and you can tell he's already kind of kind of messed up. Like yeah. he's not feeling super good after that hit. It messes his arm up. It looks his arm looks gross after that punch. Yeah. So it I mean they're going back and forth here for just a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I mean all of like 7 seconds because Muscular is just kicking the crap out of Midoriya. I mean he's trying to stand up for Kota. He's trying to get him out of there. But th- this guy hits Midoriya maybe three times, and Midoriya's like gushing blood, can barely stand up. Uh, and he's trying to sit there and, and reason, like, I don't have time to make decisions. I'm just going to have to act here. And he puts on that weird smiling face that he he makes that All Might has inspired. And he tells Coda several times, like, I promise I'm going to get you out of this. I'm going to get you out of this. And Muscular does not stand down. And this guy, let me explain what he looks like real quick. He's basically Bakugo if Bakugo was on a bunch of steroids. <laughs> like, he's just a giant Bakugo. And when he powers up, is what I'm going to say, his muscles, like his muscle fibers, actually come out of his skin and continue to expand. Yeah, it's, it's very cool looking. And it, and it again is, it's very like a Titan from Attack on Titan esque, where you could see it's like, it's like he's straight out of a body's display from like, you know, a high museum where they have like the skinless. Yeah, uh, cadavers on display, and totally. I I kind of I didn't know. I still don't know if I like that he's the villain that killed Coda's parents. It feels like that's the world is too small when stuff like that happens. It's a complaint that I have with a lot of things, where it's just like, oh, what a coincidence! How yeah. small the world must be. Um, but at the same time, it it serves a, a strong enough narrative function as as the scene goes on. And on top of all this, Cupface 
recognizes Midoriya. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, we're, we were just told to kill you on sight. And then he also asks Midoriya, he's like, hey, where's Bakugo? Because we got a job to do with him, too. Um, so he's there. They the villains must have some sort of hit list. And uh, I think that Magne or or Spinner recognized Ida as well. So, you know, that at least the three that were with Stain um, are are targeted. And for obvious reasons, this is a Stain groupies group, True. basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, Bakugo being on that list is really interesting. Well, I, I actually messaged Adkins whenever I watch, was watching this episode earlier today. And I was like, dude, I'm convinced that Muscular is Bakugo's older brother, or he's like his dad or his cousin or something. Like, this dude looks just like him. He uses a lot of the same weird terminology. Like, he, he's talking about killing and wanting to, you know, murder people and telling Midoriya to die. Like, he even sounds kind of like Bakugo in the English version. So, it is kind of true. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I'm convinced this guy's related to Bakugo. I'm convinced that the League of Villains are completely aware of the fact that Bakugo has villainous tendencies and they're going to try and like pull him onto their side or something would be that would be one heck of a twist and it would serve one of my earliest theories which is that Bakugo is going to break bad so um yeah i'll let i'll let it fly just on that um well but, so i i think that if they try and convince him Bakugo would be really insulted by that <laughs> oh hmm that's interesting yeah i don't think he'll break bad like there's no part of me at the moment that thinks that i think that if a villain was to present himself to Bakugo and be like yeah we really like you come on to our side he would be like you damn idiot yeah, that's pretty great. Oh, he would pull like the Vegeta in um, Resurrection F where he was just like, man, that's a it's an interesting offer, but I can't do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we get this great scene where Midoriya decides he's going to try and fight back against uh, Muscular and he throws a 5% punch and Muscular just laughs at him and tells him like, because of my quirk, you are the inferior version of me. And I thought that was really powerful. Like for Midoriya to hear that, you know, he's... He's got to be sweating in his boots pretty bad. Uh, and, you know, this is when uh, Coda throws a rock at Muscular. And it's interesting because he's blaming all of his issues on the fact that Muscular killed this kid's parents. And Muscular just says, it's funny, the little kids always think it's someone else's fault. And my first thought was Shigaraki, for sure. Like, this guy has no respect for Shigaraki, I'm sure. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. And then uh, Midoriya throws a 100% Detroit smash at him, and it kind of messes this guy up. Uh, but, you know, it, it, this guy stands right back up. And, like, whenever he does this smash, it takes out that whole cliff. In fact, Koda falls off the cliff. This guy gets slammed down into the cliff. And Midoriya barely catches Koda with his teeth and pulls him up. And as they're standing up, Muscular's coming out of the ground. And he does something here, and I'm not too sure what it was. But his left eye is messed up from the water hose heroes. Mm -hmm. And he mentions to Coda that like, yeah, you know, your dad took this out of me or whatever. And now I've got this fake plastic eye. Well, he his eye is missing. And then he pulls like a, it looked like a almost a billfold full of different eyes out of his pocket. Right. And he right. pops one in and then he like powers up even more. And this is when he tells Midoriya like, all right, I'm at 100 percent. Let's do this. Yeah, I couldn't tell if the eye was just an aesthetic thing. Like, he was just like, all right, this is my serious eye, you know, and just put That's what in, it felt like. Uh, yeah. Um, I did want to back up just a hair, because you hit on something that I was like, we talked about this before we started recording. And so he, Midoriya tries this 5% full cowling, does nothing, which means that Midoriya is kind of in a situation now himself 
close to what he had accused Todoroki of being in in their battle in the festival where he was like, listen, you can't just bring 50% of what you've got and expect to be an excellent hero. So Midoriya's like, well, 5% ain't going to cut this. I'm going to have to do more than this. And then there's this exchange, like you were saying, between Koda and uh, Muscular. And Muscular's explaining, I wanted to kill these people. Your parents wanted to stop me. All of this was just a result of all of us doing what we wanted to. The trouble is wanting to do something that you're unable to. And then this is when Midoriya springs on him again and gets his arm stuck in um, in Muscular's shoulder. Like, oh, it's so cool. It is he like cool. weaves it in through like the muscle fibers. Like it's pretty crazy looking. Yeah. And Muscular looks at him and says, are you going to punch me with that weak arm of yours? And Midoriya's response is, it's not a matter of whether or not I can do it. A hero's job is to risk his life to make his lip service into reality. And that is a total callback to what Todoroki said earlier, where it's like, it's got to be more than words. It's got to be backed up with actions. Yeah. That's when he goes 100% on muscular. Um, and it's it's awesome. And then it gets, it's, it's bonkers. So this is where my notes just completely cut off. I'll be straight up honest <laughs> because he goes a hundred percent. He, and he's, he's wrecked his arm. It has that same like doo doo brown coloring when he's like, and this messed is like up his, his arm. This is his second 100% in a row too. It's not like it's his first. So he's already messed it up. He's messing it up more. Yeah. And, um, and it, what's crazy is muscular's muscles are like forming around his like fist and pushing back. It, it looked really weird. Yeah. And it turns out that, uh, muscular just like grooted. I mean, I guess that that's a verb now. Yeah, where he just, that's like, a great way of himself in a totally. muscle ball, and he's totally fine. And then that's when he changes his eyes, and Midoriya is just like, "Well, I can't run because he's super fast. If I turn my back on him, we're both going down. So I have to like basically run stall tactics on this guy and let Koda try to run. And so this is when." Um, this is when he does the coolest thing in this entire series. So I'm going to let you take it. Go, Definitely. go talk so, about it because it's so, so cool. It's, it is really, really amazing. Uh, Coda is standing there like watching this whole thing go down and Muscular is slowly taking Midoriya over and like Midoriya keeps telling Coda like, dude, run, you got to get out of here. Like I'm, I'm not going to let this guy pass me. And finally Muscular is just able to slam him into the ground. And in fact, you actually see one for all fade away out of Midoriya. Like he loses that like, full cowling look and coda uses his quirk on muscular to distract him for just a second and it turns out he's got a water quirk too which i thought was really cool you know like he splashes him with some water and so muscular gets distracted and he starts bad mouthing coda and as he does even he is like oh crap i got distracted midoriya just does a full power up and even muscular is like where is he getting the strength from like where is this coming from midoriya stands up and does a one million percent smash and he screams delaware detroit smash and just throws this guy into the wall and absolutely decimates him i mean it was it was crazy yeah and there was a brief scene when we first meet coda up at his hideout that shows like a spot on a wall that i saw like that it too had been hit and so yeah. now we discover it was him he had been doing it this whole time so he splashes him and then you get this one million percent smash that looks amazingly epic Oh, dude, it was like it was so hard to to be sitting down when I watched it. I just I thought it was so cool. Yeah. And it's it's like what I live for when I watch shows like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this scene was hard to watch because oh, Midoriya yeah. is just getting bodied by this guy's muscles as it's just enveloping him and crushing him. And Coda's frozen in fear like any kid would be. And he's just watching this guy get enveloped 
I mean, oh, lose. Yeah. And poor Midoriya is sitting there and he's like, Coda, I'm sorry. You know, hey, mom, I'm really sorry. Like, he's apologizing and he's accepting death. It's, it's sad. So, yeah, this, this one million percent, um, it's, it's the Delaware Detroit smash. Which it, I, I am so confused about because Delaware and Detroit aren't even really close to each other. They're like Delaware is yeah. a state and Detroit is a city. So they're not even in the like Detroit's not even in Delaware. So I'm just confused on why adding that state's name powered him up more. Like I know that that's not what powered him up, but it makes it seem that way. So it makes me wonder if it's kind of like Kaioken from Dragon Ball Z. Like, is it, you know, Kaioken times three and then Kaioken times 10. And, like, is he going to add in another D name and just keep extending that list or what, you know? I don't know, but it sure did look awesome. I don't care. He could call it whatever he wants. Cause it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it did. It did the job. I mean, uh, muscular, as far as we know, anyway, is like jammed in. He might even be unconscious. Um, he's like wedged into the side of the mountain. Some of his muscles look pretty ripped up. Like, yeah, he did not look okay. Coda is bawling his eyes out and, and he's realizing, um, and, and Mandalay had told him like an episode or two ago that one day somebody is going to rescue him is, is going to, you know, do this, be this hero to him, even though he doesn't like the idea of heroes and all this stuff. Um, and he's, he's upset because that's what he sees at the end of this episode is, is he's questioning. I don't know. It could probably internally where he's like, you don't, you don't even know me. You don't know anything about me. And yet you, you know, basically gave your life in defense of mine. And it's, it's really cool because the last words in the, um, Japanese is Boku no hero, which is my hero in, um, like translated into English, and that's the end of the episode. And I was like, yep. "What? That's such a cool ending." Yeah, that's the way they end the English version too. It's like him looking up at Midoriya from behind, and Midoriya has that like freeze frame, and they do the super cool line work and everything, and then it just says "My Hero" at the top. And I was like, "Ah, that Wait, is I was, straight was so out cool. of the manga." By the way, like that is, is it the, really? Yes, it's the Dude. last panel of one of the chapters in the manga, and it's I mean, it's like the same line work and everything. It's taken straight out of the book and it's that's beautiful. so cool that's so cool so that would is, make a great background of a phone or something like that you know yeah and guys like you can hear in our voices how exciting this scene really was and we were just stumbling over our words trying to trying to like describe it to you the this medium like audio medium does nothing no justice to the scene. You have to watch this episode if you haven't seen it already because it is beautiful. It is disturbing. It's gut-wrenching. It's hard to watch. It's scary. But man, at the end of that, when Kato says Boku no Hero, it is amazing. It's such a good story moment for for both of the characters on the scene, not just for Kato, who has a hero now, but from Adoria, who's just like, he just went a million percent. Who does that? You know, it's, yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. It such a cool ending. It's the best episode of the show so far. I mean, there's no question about it. And what's even crazier is that, like, we're just getting started with this villain attack. You know, we've only seen two or three of them in action. We haven't seen the Cenobite guy. Like, it's, man, we're about to see some nasty stuff, I think. Yeah, aren't there, like, ten of them running around? I think there's seven, and they were waiting on an eighth one. Okay. So I think in the I, manga, it's ten. But I wonder really? if that's a, yeah, I wonder if that's a choice that they made that was different but i think well i heard you mention 10 earlier because i remember there's a scene where dobby is standing up on that cliff side and he says something like there's seven of us here and we're waiting on an eighth so okay maybe that's just a small difference yeah on this there's a map inside of the manga and it says villains 10 pro heroes 6 students 40 so maybe that's just an error of some kind 
Man, think about the odds on that. These have got to be some incredibly strong villains to go up against 46 quirk people. You know what I mean? Like, even if yeah. even if it's 46 it well. people and, that and, had and, mediocre I mean, quirks, that's still a lot of numbers against just seven or eight people. Yep, and we, they've been convincing so far. I yeah, mean, no, they have absolutely been convincing. Holy gosh. I mean, well, between just the Dobby poison, and this guy? Wow. Yeah, well, just the poison smoke effect. I mean, that area of effect alone takes out, you know, a handful of folks. Yeah, it's, it's, oh man, I cannot wait, cannot wait for the next two episodes. And I just like it when the villains are on the scene, because I think that that's more intriguing than like swimming contests and stuff, duh. Oh, totally. But, yeah. um, man, I am super jazzed and I can't wait to see other people's quirks being leveraged against these villains and also see the villains quirks. I mean, this is super exciting stuff. Yeah. I mean, these are brand new villains that we've never seen before. So we're, we're getting to see like some of the cutting edge quirks that these crazy villains have got that have kind of been showcased over the last few episodes, just in the background scenes, you know? So I'm stoked, man. Like I cannot wait to get home and watch these episodes. Yep. Let's do it. All right, man. You guys have a good week. Thanks for listening. See you guys. The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at, at backpationet or at Almighty Pod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.